It's good to see you today. It looks like somebody probably slept in today. They'll figure that out around noon. I always love the fact that people come in late during the spring on this time change. I, I told you before, but let me just share it with you again. We, um, when we lived in Kentucky, we went with our parents. We were there, I think, on a trip. We went with our parents. There was a gospel meeting going on. David was talking about that in class today. And there was a gospel meeting going on, and my mom says, okay, well, just get at the house at a certain time, and we'll go over there. And so we, we went out to this little country church. Man, I mean, there was cars all over the yard there. And so we just walked in, and it was packed. And so we sat on the amen corners, if you know what that is. And if you do, you're old like me. But nonetheless, so we just walked through, and everybody just staring at us. Well, the preacher was already up there preaching, and we thought, well, maybe he just started. Well, he was just about to quit. And... Uh, he just uh, he, he, he saw us come in, and he was kind of like, you could see, he was like, well, do I just give him a little bit, or do I just offer an invitation? Well, he just offered an invitation, and, and after church, man, we were really embarrassed, and people were coming to it. We were really glad you were here today. Uh, it made us feel great. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, we didn't go back for a while, but nonetheless, we were... so we're glad that I'm glad that you're here. Do good people not go to heaven was a question asked me recently. And so I think it's really important on this journey together as we, if you will, get out of the driveway. We've been trying to do that in the last several weeks in this series, our journey together. We all want to go to heaven. Give me an amen. We all want to be with God forever. Amen. Now, in that process, some would think and some do think, well, good people should get to go to heaven. It just seems fair. And in the world we live today, it does seem fair, doesn't it, a way the world paints that. And so trying to give some answers there, I thought it would be good just to come back and really hone in on this before I actually talk just a little bit about inviting others on our journey together. So here goes. When Jesus makes this statement in John chapter 14, and he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is something that Christians, you would think, accept, and they're well on their way. Well, the truth is, and I told you this several weeks ago, is that perhaps as high as 30% of evangelicals, those that call themselves Christian, as high as 30% think Jesus is a way, but not the way. Now, I don't know if that statistic is correct or not. Let's say it's 20%. Let's move it to 10%. It still boggles my mind that a Christian, a person that says they must put their faith in Jesus Christ, simply can say after that, he's just a way, he's not the way. It's interesting, but it's true, even within the body of Christ, people do that. Many believe we are saved by just being good people. And by being good people, that is why at funerals we like to say how good the person was. So we talk about the individual and how he was just a really good guy. And probably was. In most cases, that is the case. The question becomes, out of time and into eternity, not was the person good or even bad. The question becomes, did they follow the way, which is Jesus the Christ? Now, some believe that not only do good Christians, good, good people go to heaven. They just believe that. Perhaps that's where you're at. I want you to listen closely as I work through this because I'm trying my best to get it to a level that I can understand it, but better yet, to be able to explain it. 
The world can simply say that you're good enough if you're just good people, just generally good people that you go to heaven. So therefore, good, good people go, or good, good Muslims go, or good, good Buddhists go to heaven. It just makes sense, we say, or the world might say. But in all of that, we might say, so for Jesus to say the world, again saying here, for Jesus to say that he is the only way becomes narrow-minded to the world in which we live today. Jesus is narrow-minded. Jesus is somehow exclusive. That's not right. Somewhat full of bigotry is a word we're throwing around today. And almost un-American. It's just not fair. It's not just fair for that group that follows Jesus to get to heaven. All groups should be able to get to heaven. Anybody following me? That's what our world paints as a picture but I will tell you that many within the body of Christ says that kind of makes sense to me too. Andy Stanley, this is Charles Stanley's son, does a mega church down in Atlanta, writes some books and materials that uh, some are good and some I just really don't not fond of. But this illustration I thought really summed it up well. So I share it with you at this time. Suppose you sign up for a class, he says, and the first day of the class, the teacher said these words, there is only going to be one exam at the end of the marking period. It will be pass or fail. Have a good day. Class is dismissed. You'll take the exam in three months. Oh, and by the way, are there any questions? He goes on to write this. Yes, there's questions. What books should we read to prepare for the exam? Whatever you like. Doesn't matter. How will we know that the material to, what material to study? Just ask somebody else in the class. Are you going to give us an outline or a syllabus? No, just make up your own as you go. Wait a minute. That does not seem fair. Look, you all signed up for the journey in this class together. You all have the same amount of time in the course of study. You all have the same exam in the end. And I will grade you equally based upon the standards in which I am looking for. Oh, what could be more fairer than that? The teacher asked. What standards are you looking for? One asked. What are the guidelines for us? Oh, you'll know that when you take the test. Now... How many of you would consider, he writes, that this teacher is a good teacher? No takers? Any of you administrators or principals, would you hire that teacher? Would you think this teacher was being fair? Would you think this teacher is being good and loving? Not at all. When we say that all good people go to heaven, this is about as much direction, he writes, to help a person on their spiritual journey as the teacher in this class. Oh, my. A person may feel good about the journey that they are on, only greatly to be disappointed in the end to find out that they do not measure up. Hmm. Where all this came from was, a, and when I talked to this individual and said we will be studying this, but I read this sentence, and maybe it's two sentences. It's Rick Gillespie. He's, he writes these words. Jesus came with a message. Jesus came with a message. Good people don't go to heaven. Bad people go to heaven. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute, time out. 
So I had to figure through this. Is that true and is this right? Well, let's look at another parable this morning real quick. This one comes out of Luke 18. And this parable, a parable, remember, a parable is given by Jesus to fit every generation wherever you're at. 100 years before, 100 years after, you're here, but including you as well. That's a parable. And this particular parable, he talks about two individuals. He talks about two individuals that went to the temple to pray. And in, in this time, one was a Pharisee, a religious person. One was a tax collector, a hated person. And in this process, he tells the story of these two individuals. And the first one up is the Pharisee. And the Pharisee's job was to do good and to be good and do his best to keep the commandments, but also make sure everybody else kept the commandments as well. So the Pharisee started out with his prayer, and he basically says, God, I thank you that I'm not like everybody else, all these other people, the robbers, the evildoers, and adulterers, and even this tax collector over here. I'm really glad I'm not like them, God. For God, you know what I do. Oh, I fast twice a week, and I give 10% of everything I get, have, and I get. I give 10% right off the top. Pretty good, we would think, our standards. But yet now, watch this. The, the tax collector stood at a distance, wouldn't even look up to the temple itself, and he prayed, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Period. Stop. And Jesus closes with, the tax collector went home justified before God. I'm like, wow, that blows me away. How could a bad man get approval of God and a good one doesn't get approval by God? Only bad people realize that they are not good enough to go on their own. That's how it connects with us. If you are trusting in how good you are, you will have no hope in the end. But if you admit your badness, your sin, Scripture says, you make room then for God's grace, God's mercy, and God's rebirth into your life. Praise God. Remember the standard of goodness is perfection, according to God. It's perfection. And so if you're better than I am, doesn't make you better in God's eyes. We have to all come to the point of saying, I'm bad, I'm not good enough, on my own. It's amazing. You see, Jesus' method of salvation is open to everybody, and that's what makes it so beautiful. It's open to everybody. It's not exclusive. It doesn't matter what age you are, what color you are, what race you are, what status you have, what, where you're born, your IQ, or where you lived, and how much sin you've had in your life in the past. It does not make one bit of difference. You and you alone get to decide whether or not to follow Jesus Christ the way. Are you following Jesus Christ the way? Give me an amen. amen. All right, now we're almost ready to get out of the driveway. But not quite. Romans chapter 10 tells us, For if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 2 Peter chapter 3, The Lord is not slack in concerning his promise, as some count slackness or slowness. Man, it's been 2,000 years. What's, his, what's the problem? Is he having a problem getting a spaceship ready? No. And the reason why is because he is patient not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. The repentance means you come to a, a, a point in your life, you realize that you're bad. you got to come to the point where you realize you're bad. 
no matter how good you are. Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So there's a belief system in all of that. Now, you've declared that you are a follower of Christ. Give me another amen so I know. All right, very good. Now you're here. Now, now that you've made that decision to follow Christ, God gives us something to do on our journey. But before we back out of the driveway, before we take our journey, we need to know what God has given us as an assignment. And that assignment is to invite others along with us. Yikes. But it's important to know. Me and my brother, when we were growing up, he was about three and a half years younger or older than I was, and uh, we lived out in the country. We didn't have a lot. We didn't go on vacations just to families, homes, and did that thing, and that was great. We didn't know we didn't have much because we were loved, and, and we always had food to eat and all those things. But my next-door neighbor, his name was Mr. Howard Boom. He's a great guy. He's a good man. He was a good, good man. I really loved Howard and Ruth Boom. They were just great people. He taught me how to throw a curveball. He taught me how to throw a spiral. He took me to the county fair on several occasions. And one summer, one summer, he and his family always went somewhere. They always went on these great adventures that, boy, I would just love to go. And one summer, he said he invited me and my brother to go with him and his whole family to the upper part of peninsula, or upper peninsula in Michigan. That's where we lived at the time. Boy, he invited us to go on this trip with him. What do you think we said? Woohoo! I'm ready. And so we went and we camped out the whole week or whatever it was there. We fished in the river and we caught some fish and, and you know, made the s'mores or whatever it was at the campsite. And we ate some Michigan blueberries. I don't know if you've ever had blueberries. If you like blueberries, you'd love Michigan blueberries. There's none like them. I'm not real big on blueberries, so I nibbled on a few. But my brother gorged himself on Michigan blueberries. And on the way home, he ungorged himself, if you know what I mean. I used to love to tease him about that. I was just he was around today so I could tease him about it. He's probably yelling from heaven right now, shut up. <laughs> not a chance. <laughs> Uh, but in that, what I'm saying is, as Christians, that's what we are to do as Christians. We are to tell or invite others on the journey with us. Can I have an amen? amen. All right. Now that you say that, are we doing that is the question. I think one of the greatest misdeeds that we do while on our journey here is we fail to invite others to the banquet that God has prepared for us and for them. We just fail. Talked about it in our class again today. Bob read the scripture for us about the banquet being set. Go get them. Bring them in. 1 John chapter 2. Let's look at a scripture here. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Period. Don't read no more. Just look at that first sentence. When you look at that, you would, if you only read that and had said nothing else, you would say to yourself, boy, I'm in big trouble. Because you know what Romans says, but you already know in your heart that you've sinned or you sin. Anybody not sin this week? No takers, huh? So in that process, it says, I write this so that you do not, you will not sin. And so it wasn't that the writer here was saying, because he knew that that's what we do. He knew that people sin, and but with that, he's telling us and telling them, but he's telling us today, if you will, what he's, why he's writing this, and if you play, pay close attention to what I'm writing to you, 
what you will come to in your life is that I don't want to sin. You see? Living in sin, wanting to sin, that's what that is. I desire less and less to sin in my life. But he goes on to say, but if anybody does sin, hello, that's me. I want to listen real closely. It says, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Give me an amen. His name is Jesus the Christ, the righteous one. Give me another amen. Now watch. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not sin, sins, before, during, and after the time we become this Christian. Isn't that awesome? If you only look at it as a sin, i got to be perfect from this point on, you're going to miss the sins that he forgives. So when we read that, we as Christians say, we as, we're not backing out of this driveway until you get this. We as Christians say, hallelujah, amen. Now watch, he could have stopped there, but he didn't. He went on to say, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, if you only sin 365 times a year, you can only imagine what people of the world sin. But aren't you glad God says, I cover every last one of them through Jesus the Christ. Buddha's not in there. Allah's not in there. They're not there. Jesus and Jesus alone. Give me an amen. amen. All right, very good. We can go home, but not yet. Now, as a Christian, I know you're thankful for that, but in that process, don't you think that you should now tell others, invite others on the journey with us? I think we would all agree that it is essential for someone to do that. If you were to ask a thousand Christians, do you think it's right for Christians to tell other people, invite them or tell others about their Jesus? The answer would be, sure, 100%. Well, think about this for a second. Don't you think in this process, or just thinking about that, that God has chosen you and me, you and me, you and me, you and me, to do just that? He must think the world of us. But all of a sudden, things change in us. Oh, we get a little nervous. We get a little, you know, and we do that. In our assignments that God gives us, we find ourselves on one of two sides. Let me explain it this way. We find ourselves scared or excited, full of faith or little faith. Little faith will always keep you on the scared side. Full of faith will make you walk upright and say, I am a child of the Most High God. And He has given me an assignment. And I am not going to let my God down do we? Now, if you know what you are to do, 
and how you are to do it, teachers would tell you, coaches would tell you this very easy statement. You now have no excuses. Isn't that right? That's right. You have no excuses. And that's for all Christians. An old-timer sat on the riverbank fishing, fishing pole in hand. It was not uh, a fishing season yet. It wasn't open, declared open. Uh, a uniformed officer stood behind him quietly for several minutes. He could see his shadow. He didn't move. He didn't turn around. He just said, are you the game warden? Yes, sir. Unruffled by what was going on. The man began to move the fishing pole side to side, side to side. Finally, he picked up the, picked up the pole, and there at the end of the line was a, a, a little minnow just swiveling like this. And he simply said, just teaching him how to swim. <laughs> That's what we're to do. Somebody taught you how to swim. Somebody's taught you the good news. Somebody told you about Jesus. Somebody invited you on the journey. Now it's our turn. No amens? Pretty weak. I know. All the amenners stayed home because they're an hour late, right? All right, here we go. Jesus told us, told his disciples, if you know that, um, in this process, let me back up. Here's another statistic for you. I know how statistics can be skewed. I understand that. But it's still alarming if you just look at it, even narrow it down some. They say that 19 out of every 20 who become Christians do so before the age of 24. 19 out of 20. After the age of 25, only 1 in 10,000. And after 55, only 1 in 300,000. My friend, we have our work cut out for us on our journey with God. Jesus told his disciples, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. What he's declaring there is that we are going to be soul winners. We used to sing that. I want to be a soul winner for Jesus, soul winner for Jesus. And I don't know how to sing it, but anyway. But we, that's what we are to be, soul winners. You remember the joy bus? Anybody remember a joy bus? J-O-Y bus. Anybody? rest of you have no clue. Hey, joy, hey. Jesus, others, and yourself. And you invited them, you invited them, you invited them, and they came, and they filled our buses. Now, if this is our calling, and it is, according to Matthew chapter 28, there you see again, how then can I be an effective witness for him? You write a book. I'm not going to write one. I'm not going to give you one today, but I want to give you a couple of things that might help us in our journey, and we'll close. Here we go. Let's move quickly. How can I be an effective witness? Now, normally, if you are taking a trip and we do choose to invite someone with you or us, we normally pick someone that we like or we know. Is that right? If you're going to take a trip somewhere this year, let's say you're going to Disneyland, you just don't go to Walmart, roll your window down, and say, oh, hey, sir, would you and your family like to go with us to Disneyland today? You don't do that. You normally don't do that. Now, some of you might. But in that process, you normally invite someone you know and you like. Now, if that person knows you and likes you in that process, they may or may not agree. But if they do agree, it would be someone. But if they've seen in the past how rude you are, how rude you are to others and perhaps even them, 
themselves, you, you would talk and how you talk about people behind their backs and how you slack off at work and how you say one thing and you do something else. They would more than likely be inclined not to go with you on that trip because they see the real you and they see the real you enough they don't want to go to vacation with that real you. You get in the picture? Makes sense to me. It's called a hypocrite. The thing about a hypocrite and a liar is this. Nobody likes them, yet everybody knows one, but nobody claims to be one. Isn't that right? Sure it is. In his autobiography, he tells, and this is really good, and this is good for the church, so listen closely. Warren Wiersbe writes about his first church encounter of a building project. I've been through nine of them here. They say that's the time that preachers get fired the most. I'm sure glad we met our goal on that last one. (laughs) Help me out, church. (laughs) Here we go. But anyway, on his building project as a young pastor in Indiana, he writes, he and his church building committee were working together with an architect, of course. At one of their meetings, uh, Wiersbe says, he learned a good lesson about architecture and theology, something that he had not been taught in seminary school. He said in the meeting, he asked the architect, why do we need such an expensive high ceiling in our auditorium, sir? We're not building a cathedral here. Why not just build an auditorium with a flat room and then put the church facade on the front of the building? In a quiet voice, the architect simply said, Pastor, the building you construct reflects the church, what the church is and what the church is doing. You don't Use facades on churches to fool people. That's for carnival sideshows. But here's the one that got me. He said, the outside and the inside must agree. The outside and the inside must agree. Now, I know the building is just a building. It's just a building. It's a building like this is structure, or it could be a house church, or it could be a church in a, in a cave, and people are meeting in all three, right, as we speak. So it's just a building. It's not the heart of the matter. We are the church. We are, you and me. We're the body of Christ. We're on the journey. Now, in this process, though, um, the Lord says that our outside and inside must agree, or we are not going to be very good witnesses to the ones that we're to invite in. We are called to live, and write these things down, we are called to live in consistent Christian life before people. Give me an amen. Amen. Now, watch this, and I know I write the world's longest sentence, so says Linda. And so in this, in my opinion, there is in this, we are called to live a consistent Christian life before people in order that when the opportunity comes for us to invite them on the journey with us, they will not reject the offer because of us. You see it? Now watch. Oh, they may reject, and many do, and most probably will. But here's the thing. It should not ever be because of our example before them. Ever. You wouldn't want to cause someone to lose their soul because of you, would you? Certainly not. Now, in that, how do we know? Because Jesus says, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You don't put it under a bowl, you put it on a lampstand for all to see. 
in my opinion, there is probably nothing more disgusting than a person that claims to be a Christian and lives no differently than the people in the world thinking in the end it's all going to be good because I claim Jesus. We need to always be reminded that we might fool people around us on our journey together, but we will never ever fool God on our journey with Him because He is the head of the church and He knows exactly who's in the body and who in the body is doing what they're supposed to be doing. Can I have an amen? Amen. Okay, very good. Galatians 6. You know when I retire about 30 years from now? Everybody here is going to be programmed to say amen. And the first time that preacher gets up here, whoever follows me, he's not going to be one of the amen guys. And you're all going to just go, amen. He's going to, oh, man, what have I gotten myself into? He's going to call me and say, what have you done to me? No, I'm just kidding. Here we go. Galatians chapter 6. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whosoever, whatsoever man soweth, that so he also shall reap. We all know that verse, don't we? Well, you can use that in a lot of ways in our lives, of course, in every aspect of your life, because it's the truth. But it is true that we have to be careful of how we sow. Why? So that when the harvest time comes, we reap a good harvest. You farmers out there, those of you that plant crops, you, those of you that put a garden out even, flowers out, you're hoping with what you do to prepare the soil and get everything ready and do all of that, you're hoping for a good harvest. Don't know yet, but you're doing your part. If you don't do your part, you can sit around all day hoping that you're going to get a good harvest, but you never will. First Peter chapter 2 says, live, live such good lives among the pagans. That's the people of the world, the lost. Live such good lives among them. Watch this. This is, this is happening right before our eyes. Though they accuse you of doing wrong. Listen, the Christian Christians will always be persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. It is because of what I said earlier. Jesus is the way. That's why we're persecuted. You live such good lives among the pagans so that when they accuse you of doing wrong, they will, they have, and they are. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits. Give me an amen. Amen. That's a good verse. Here we go. Don't ever think that you don't make a difference. I say this all the time when I go to schools and speak. You make a difference. Someone made a difference in your life. Someone told you about Jesus. God has placed you in the right place at the right time. You may not even like it where you're at. Did you know that God may have something great for you planned to even move in an occupation? But the reason why he's not allowing that to happen because you haven't fulfilled what he has told you to do where you're at. I don't believe that God takes you to the next level until you accomplish what God has set out for you to do on that level. See, we all want that. All young couples that get married want what their grandparents have. Nice home, retirement, traveling, and doing all that stuff, right? They all want that. But we all had to learn something, didn't we? It don't happen that way, right? That's what many people think as well in in the process of Christianity. Watch this. Someone once said there are only two kinds of Christians in the world. Those who talk about the lost and those that talk to the lost. Which one are you? 
If you look for the opportunity to invite others, these pews will all be filled. I promise you that. So I want to encourage you to invite one. Invite one. Bring one. Invite one and bring one. I want to encourage us as a church to do that. I have to say this. I know I'm just a little bit over. Thank you for your patience. It's all Phil's fault. He's too long-winded. <laughs> just kidding, Phil. You did great. Um, I have a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, that I've known for 26 years lives in this town. He is a good man. I've seen with my own eyes personally how he has blessed multitudes of people. But he has never given his life to Jesus Christ. And for 26 years, I've been working on him. And I invite him every time I see him. We sat at a ball game one time together, and we were there together, and saw another good deed that he had done, another good thing that he had done. And I told him, I said, listen to me. Listen to me. You know, I care for you. I love you. You're a great friend of mine. You are too good to miss this. You're too good to miss this. And in that process, he was, he just put his head down. But I'm going to tell you, today, I pray today is the day that he calls me. Because he's promised me, when that takes place, I'll get the call. I am not going to give up inviting him. But I'm going to invite others as well. Now, here's what you might be thinking as we close. What if I invite and they don't accept? Get over it. That's not your responsibility. What if they do accept? What if they do accept? Think about that. Leave the results to God. 1 Corinthians tells us that. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important that it is God that makes the seed grow. What's it saying? Anybody, it doesn't matter, a good person, bad person, put a seed in the ground. It doesn't matter who puts it in the ground. It doesn't matter, a good person, a bad person waters it. It doesn't matter one bit. What matters is that it grows. And neither one, good or bad, can make it grow. Only God. Isn't that right? Two guys sitting in a cell. Here they are. They neither one know God, they neither one have confessed their sins, never, neither one have accepted Christ as their Savior. No, very little. Somebody hands them a Gideon Bible, they open it up. The one begins to read, and while the one listens, the one listening accepts, accepts what he's, this man's reading to him. Because God made it grow. But even at the same very time that the man that's reading it doesn't believe a word of it, God wants us to understand that if we will just do what he does, has told us to do, he will do what he has promised to do. For he is the one that will call them in through the spirit of man. We're responsible for sharing the gospel. We're responsible for taking care of our people, but for inviting others in. I believe we will share with others willingly and invite them on our journey if we believe that we have the good news and we are on the right road together. So there you go. Now you know what it is you're supposed to do and how it is that you're supposed to do it. 
together on our journey. So we're ready to pop this thing in reverse, back out of the driveway, and head out on the road. Are you ready? If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, my friend, we want you, we want to invite you. We want to tell you that Jesus said this is going to be a trip of a lifetime. Oh, there's going to be bumps. Remember those bumps and curves and all those danger zones and all the other things, you know, keep to the right and less to pass or whatever it is. And you do all those things. All those things we'll go through together, but God's going to help us through it together. And so we want to invite you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, He's your Lord and Savior. Put Him on today in baptism and know that you are saved and know that you're on the journey with us. And you're on the journey with a bunch of people that are not saints, if you will. We're not perfect, I should say. We're not perfect, and we will fail. But praise God, he says he will forgive us of those sins as well if we ask. And so perhaps today that's where you're at. I just decided to get off this trip for a while and did my own thing. Will God forgive me? You bet he does. Come on home. Whatever your need is, you come together as we stand and sing.